0: I want to share with you guys our favorite toothpaste that the entire family uses. It's called Risewell. And Risewell is a fluoride-free toothpaste that has all non-toxic, safe ingredients. So it's even safe if swallowed, which makes it perfect for young children. I love Risewell because... Unlike some of the other natural and non-toxic toothpaste on the market, Risewell contains an ingredient called hydroxyapatite, which is a naturally occurring mineral that actually has been scientifically proven to strengthen and protect our teeth without the use of fluoride. You can save 10% now with the code KULIK10 when you go to risewell.com. And again, that code is KULIK, K-U-L-I-K-10. hello everybody today i am going to be just sharing some of my thoughts um my maybe incoherent kind of rambling thoughts i'm hoping it all connects together Um, but before I get started, I just want to ask you if you're enjoying my podcast, um, if you like the information and the content I share and the guests that I have on, it would be so helpful to me and I would be so immensely appreciative if you would go to Apple podcasts and leave a review. Um, and this helps people, more people to find the podcast and get this information out there. So today I want to talk about this, um, which I've talked about this all the I really talk about it all the time on my Instagram account, if you follow me on Instagram. But I want to talk about this idea of um, binary thinking in terms of sleep training. So, And what I mean by binary thinking is this idea that if you are not supporting parents in their decisions to sleep train, if you're not saying it's okay that you sleep train, um, if you're speaking out about the potential negative impact of sleep training or the concerns that you have about sleep training, this idea that if you're doing these things, then you are you are not supporting parents. Um, you are somehow anti-mother and anti-baby, and you're dangerous and irresponsible. and um, and so, you know, I really take issue with binary thinking to begin with, because as human beings, There's so many, we're so complex that there's so much nuance in being a human and humanity. And we can't limit ourselves with this super binary thinking um, that you're either, if you're not for me, then you're against me, because that's just really not true in most circumstances. I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. I am not for sleep training. I talk about the potential negatives of sleep training. I talk about the concerns with sleep training. Yes, that is all true. I don't really agree with sleep training. However, I am not anti-parent. I am not anti-parents that sleep train. I do not have a problem with parents that sleep train. I have a problem with the act of sleep training. Um, and it's not a personal attack when I, when I talk about that. And so we're at this place in society where we can't have nuanced conversations because people are quick to put labels on you and to put you into these, these boxes and these categories um, if you talk about anything that you're you're not supposed to talk about by societal standards. And that's really problematic because when we begin to get to that place, which we're already there, that limits growth and it limits critical thinking. So kind of related to this, this binary thinking, this, this either or thinking is this idea that if you are sharing about how babies should be sleeping, how it is normal for them to sleep biologically, this idea that you are then promoting and encouraging and glorifying sleeplessness from, for the parent. So whenever I, you know, make a post or share information about how babies are meant to sleep, how they're, how they are designed to sleep, et cetera, I inevitably get somebody that, you know, says something like, well, this is really privileged because you must, you know, you must not have to go to work and you must have family support. Um, or I get somebody say, okay, but then what are parents supposed to do when they're not sleeping? And, You know, first of all, I understand those questions. Those questions are valid questions. They are things that we should be talking about. I do talk about them. Um, But in terms of, you know, a lot of times I get them almost as an argument against what I'm saying about biological infant and child sleep. And that is problematic because that's essentially a logical fallacy. So, just first of all, it's a logical fallacy. Saying, but parents need to sleep does not negate the facts about how babies are meant to sleep that i have just shared so babies are meant to be wakeful they're meant to sleep in lighter stages of sleep they are meant to be responded to at night they are designed for responsive caregiving and so none of that is negated by the other issue on the other side that we have of parents and babies living in a in a culture that is largely unsupportive of parents and babies so, this idea that like we can't have these conversations because this idea that if I'm talking about how babies are meant to sleep, then I'm somehow encouraging parents to just be okay with not getting sleep and being in dangerous situations. And that's not at all what I do. We should be able to, and I hope that we can start having more of these nuanced, complex conversations where multiple truths can be true simultaneously. On the one hand, it can be true that, and it is true, that babies are meant to be wakeful. They are often meant to nurse throughout the night. Sleep is going to be disrupted during periods of growth or teething or illness or milestones or whatever is going on. And that is all normal and isn't something that is needed, um, baby needs to be trained out of, right? So that's true. And at the same time, it's true that sometimes parents really struggle with that and they're not getting enough sleep and so we need to figure out what to do for them too um and then also can be true that despite that information about biological infant sleep some parents will still make the decision to sleep train and feel like that is the best decision for their family um and so all of those things can be true at once and if you have been following me for any length of time on Instagram or even listening to this podcast, you probably are aware that I am very pro-informed consent. I am for parents having access to all of the accurate, well-rounded information to make the right decisions for their family. My goal is never to control parents. My goal is never to tell parents what they should or should not be doing. My goal is to give the information and specifically to provide the other side of the information that most parents don't have easy access to. I never want to control parents. I want parents to be able to make decisions that they feel good about without regret. And I do acknowledge that for some parents, that is the decision to sleep train. And it's not my place to speak negatively about that. And that is not what I'm doing. Um, So when I speak about sleep training, I am not speaking about parents who have chosen to sleep training. I, I'm just speaking about sleep training itself, the mechanism of sleep training, what it is, what it does, etc. So my goal is never to control. But we I have these conversations with people um, where it's it seems like there are a lot, a large group of people who actually do want to control what information parents have access to. And I think that they want that because the information that I'm sharing or that other people are sharing makes them feel uncomfortable. And so that is what is not okay. It's not okay to seek to control information that parents have access to because it makes you feel uncomfortable. And I don't I don't agree at all that that in any way is supportive of parents. Shielding parents, withholding information from parents is not supportive. Only giving parents the information that makes them feel good inside and makes them comfortable and feel safe is not supportive. Many of you know that I believe that. Um, So I will never be for, you know, this idea that I just shouldn't be sharing information about sleep training or even biological infant sleep because some parents are upset by that or some parents feel uncomfortable with decisions they've made after learning that. Um, because ultimately, first of all, other parent, other people's feelings are not my responsibility. Um, I don't share informa- information disrespectfully. I don't shame. I just share information and I share my perspective and my opinion sometimes. Um, But this idea that we need to withhold information and only share one side of it, and to be clear, that side is the sleep training side. That is the side that parents are bombarded with right now. That is the side that parents hear about from their doctors and their family members and their friends. They hear about it from everybody for the most part. Of course, I'm speaking in generalizations right now. Um, but for the most part, if you are living in the States or Canada or Australia, and I know there's other countries too. There's a lot of countries that um, where sleep training has kind of become the norm. If you're living in those countries, for the most part, you are hearing about sleep training. And you are being pressured to sleep train by lots of people in your life, most likely. So by only allowing one side of that conversation to happen and trying to silence the other side because it makes you feel uncomfortable, that in and of of itself in a way is indirectly controlling people. It is indirectly coercive and pressuring in a way because we're, we're telling parents, not I'm not, but in general, people are telling parents, you have to sleep train. Your baby won't learn to sleep unless you sleep train. Um, you know, they people are making parents believe that sleep training is this rite of passage and that it is an important skill to teach a baby, which is not true. So if parents are not able to access the other side of the discussion, the side that I'm trying to share then they are not able to make an informed decision. And that leads to lots and lots of families, lots and lots of parents who have made the decision to sleep train because they thought they had to. So when I'm sharing this information, I'm not sharing it for the parent who decided to sleep train and made that decision with good information, all of the information, and feel really good about that information because they think it was the best choice for their family. That is not my target audience. My target audience are the families who have not heard the other side, who are feeling pressured to sleep train, but in their gut, they don't want to. And they want to have another option, but they don't even know it exists. That is my target audience. So sorry, kind of went on a tangent there. My point is, is that we have to get past this way of binary, like this binary thinking, because it's a trap. It really is. It's a trap to shut down meaningful discourse. It's a trap to try to really, and this is indirectly, I don't think most people that do this have no idea this is what they're doing. They don't intend to control other people, but they are basically controlling other people because when you control what information someone has access to, you control the choices they have and thus you indirectly control their decision. If you don't have options You don't, you don't, if you don't know you have options, you can't make a decision. If you think you only have one choice, then you don't have a decision to make. Parents have to know there's another side to this story. They have to know what sleep training is and what it does and the concerns with it. And I'm not just talking about, you know, long-term damage to the child. Like that's not even something that I really focus on a whole lot. Because there's not a ton of evidence um, because that would be unethical and it would be really impossible to study that long-term and directly you know, correlate that those effects, those potential long-term effects to sleep training. Um, what I do focus on is what lots and lots of research tells us about how babies are meant to develop and to thrive, and that is through responsive caregiving. So we have to acknowledge that If we are doing something opposite of what we know to be true um, for babies to thrive, then we have to acknowledge there's a risk there. But that's not even typically my focus. You know, my main focus when I talk about sleep training is often just on what is sleep training? Is it actually training your baby to sleep? Is your baby actually sleeping better after they've been sleep trained? Are they actually learning to self-soothe? The answer to those questions are no. And that's what I focus on because those are more factual, tangible pieces of information that I think parents have to know before they make a decision to sleep train. So it's so important to have all of that information. And if our brains are stuck in this binary thinking style, this all or nothing, you're either for me or you're against me thinking style, we can't get there. We can't have those important conversations. Being against sleep training in general, bringing up the concerns about sleep training is not anti-parent. We we just have to find ways to talk, to have these shame-free discussions where we're not focusing on the parents. And I'm not saying that this doesn't happen because it absolutely does. It happens on both sides where people attack the parent. And I don't think that's ever okay. And it's never helpful. If we are attacking parents and making accusations towards them or implying things about their character or their their love for their child, first of all, most of those things that we're doing and saying are just not true. Parents that sleep train their children love their children for the most part. I mean, there are, there's always outliers, but on both sides, there's always outliers. I think that most parents are making the very best decisions that they can make with the information that they have. And the problem is most parents are being so misled right now and it's tragic that parents can't make informed decisions without having all of the information and so we just need to we need to get to this place where we can just have this open conversation these respectful conversations mature conversations because how can we really grow as parents and how can we really treat our our children who are going to mess up and make mistakes and who need to learn um, and grow How do we expect them to do that, to do those things when we're not even able to? We're not even open to having mature conversations. We're not open to talking about or reflecting on where we may have done something that wasn't in alignment with our beliefs or our values, or maybe we made a mistake. We all make mistakes. We have to start talking about it. We have to be willing to have those open discussions and resist this binary thinking because the binary thinking of if you're not for me, you're against me is stupid. And it sets us back because if we can't talk about it, we can't grow and we can't do better for our children. Okay, so that's one part of it. The other thing that happens a lot when I talk about biological infant sleep patterns, for example, is... Um, well, par- people will say, well, then what is a parent to do? You're, you're giving me all of this information, but I need sleep. So what do I do? So again, already talked about this a little bit. Just because we're sharing biological infant sleep patterns does not mean that I'm encouraging parents to be sleepless and, um, you know, be in these dangerous situations where they're not sleeping. There's so many other factors to unpack here. That's, there's also, that's also another binary thinking pattern is that if that we're either totally sleep deprived, totally and utterly sleep deprived, or we're sleep training as if there's not a whole spectrum of things that we can do, interventions that we can do to try to improve not only our baby's sleep, but our sleep and our mental health and our energy levels. There's so many things. That we can do and so I do want to talk about a couple of those because um, I get this question a lot but again I want to emphasize that just because a parent is sleep-deprived does not negate facts of how babies are meant to sleep of biological infant sleep patterns so this idea that we shouldn't be having these discussions because some parents are sleep-deprived is ridiculous it's nonsense again we can hold multiple simultaneous truths, and we should be able to. We have to be able to think like that to grow and to see nuance and to see complexity. So it is true that a lot of parents are sleep-deprived. And I would say that, you know, really, sleep training should be the last resort. Sleep training should be the very last resort for, and I say should, I don't like to should people. This isn't just my belief. This is my belief, and parents are able to make um, the decisions that they want to and that work for them. But my belief, my opinion is that I don't agree with sleep training and I don't think it's best for mom or for baby most of the time. And so I believe that sleep training should be used as a very last resort for parents who literally have no other options and are in a dangerous situation. Um, That does not mean that another family is going to agree with me. Um, That is just my opinion because I know what I know about sleep training, and that it doesn't actually improve sleep, Um, baby sleep. So what are things that can be done before sleep training to improve sleep? There's tons of things. And I think, first of all, let's focus on baby, figuring out is baby even sleeping, quote unquote, normally? Are their wakes excessive? Because sometimes what I see happening when I post about, you know, that it's biologically normal for baby to wake at night is somebody will say, well, I haven't slept in, I haven't slept longer than 30 minutes in six months. How do I go on like this? Well, the first problem is that I'm not talking about that, that if your baby is waking every 30 minutes to every hour all the time, all night long and have never, has never given you long stretches, there's something else likely going on. So that's the first step is we have to get to the the root cause of the sleep issue. And the first part of that is figuring out, is there an actual sleep issue or is my baby sleeping quite normally? And um, I do have on my Instagram account, I have a highlight, I believe it's called red flags, where I do talk about this a little bit in the distinction to hopefully give you kind of an idea of whether your baby is waking quite normally or whether there might be something else going on. So Um, You know, the first thing I would say is if your baby has always woken every 30 minutes to an hour and a half and really never gives you much longer stretches than that for their entire life, there's likely something else going on. If your baby is waking every two to four hours and going back to sleep relatively easily for the most part, aside from, you know, maybe occasional phases of nights here and there where they might be teething or going through a milestone or something like that. That's normal to have those really disrupted nights as long as for the most part it's every few hours going back to sleep pretty easily, et cetera. That is quite normal. So that's the first thing to realize is that we have, you know, some babies do have true sleep challenges and that is what I work with families to figure out the root cause of those sleep challenges. But sleep training should not be the first resort for that level of sleep challenge because there is a reason why your baby is waking every hour and it is not because they're sleeping next to you and it's not because you're offering them breast milk at night your baby is waking for a reason so go check out my red flags highlight Um, if you have a concern about that oftentimes it's related to a tethered oral tissue or like so tongue and lip ties or reflux or food sensitivities um, or like sleep apneas sleep disordered breathing things like that so that's the first step is sleep training will do nothing for these babies if they have an a reason an underlying reason that they're waking so frequently. So then I wonder for this mom for just an example who you know hasn't gotten more than 30 minutes of sleep in 6 months. What else is going on? Is there something going on with mom's health? So if baby is sleeping, you know, sleeping quite normally, waking every 3 or 4 hours, maybe 2 to 4 hours. And going right back to sleep. Is there something that is is impacting mom's ability to sleep in between the wakes? And what is that? So there are all kinds of things that could be causing this. Um, When a woman has a child, has a baby, goes through childbirth, her body is depleted. Her body is depleted from pregnancy. And then her body is further depleted from birth. And this is made um, more extensive in our culture because many women in our culture do not eat a very nutrient-dense diet to begin with. So they are often not eating a nutrient-dense diet before they conceive. And so their body might already be in a depleted state when they conceive. And so then going through pregnancy and going through childbirth can make them even more depleted. And so a lot of times these depletions, nutritional depletions, um, oftentimes there's hormonal related imbalances in the body after birth. They are not addressed because conventional medicine um, really doesn't address these things. They, there's really no, way to, there's really no um, standard process of checking these things for the most part when a woman has a baby, at least in the, in the States. So many women will deal with this stuff for years because it goes unaddressed. So there are many, many, many nutritional deficiencies that could be causing mom difficulty to um, fall asleep at night, could be causing more difficulty to fall asleep once she's awake in the middle of the night. Um, Stress impacts this. You know, we have things like adrenal fatigue and, and things like this that a lot of women today do experience. So I highly recommend, you know, reaching out if possible reaching out to a naturopath or maybe a functional medicine doctor who is skilled in treating postpartum women because they can run the proper tests and get the lab values to kind of figure out what is going on. And if there is something going on that is impacting mom's ability to sleep, that needs to be addressed. Not baby needs to be sleeping through the night and it's mom who needs to be addressed. Mom's health is the priority in this case. Um, there is an amazing book by, I always n- mess his name up, but Dr. Oscar Sarulak, or Serolach, not really sure how to pronounce his name, but he is a functional medicine doctor and he wrote a book called The Postnatal Depletion Cure and it talks all about this and it lists all of the, the micronutrients and the mac- mac- macronutrients um, and talks about how they can be impacting mom at different levels and what the symptoms are. And it's just really a great, like, quick start book um, if you're just curious about any of this. Um, and then I would just recommend you finding a, a provider, a provider to give you individualized, tailored support. So that that is the big one, I think, in terms of what else can we do as a first line of defense when, when mom is in a situation in which she is totally sleep-deprived. Is working on mom. So sometimes that's addressing her health. Oftentimes it's addressing her nutrition. So if if you have a mom, which and this is often the case, right? Because we have very limited support for the most part. Many women um, in in Western countries have no support system. Um, many women don't know to prepare for postpartum. And so they have this newborn and they're busy and they're tired and they're not sleeping and they're having to take care of this baby and nurse this baby all day. And so, and they're not nourishing their own bodies and they're already as we just talked about in a depleted state so if you're in a depleted state and you're not eating nourishing foods for your body that is going to impact your energy levels so someone who is eating really nourishing foods and really taking care of their body and has prepared for postpartum could theoretically be up every three to four hours with her baby and wake up in the morning feeling really well rested, while another mom who has a, is in a depleted body state and is not nourishing her bodies with with healthy, nutrient dense foods, um, could also be waking every three to four hours with her baby, but be totally sleep deprived and have feel like they have no energy. So that's a huge difference. It's and it's not you know I never want to act as if one piece of the puzzle. Is going to fix sleep deprivation because it's not but all different kinds of things together all different pieces together can impact a woman's um, energy level exhaustion and feeling of sleep deprivation and that I think is what needs to be addressed before sleep training a baby so nutrition eating a nutrient-dense diet making sure that there are no no nutritional deficiencies or hormonal imbalances. And then also getting your support system. For some women, this means, unfortunately, having to pay for a support system. Maybe you have to pay for some um, cooking, some meal prep. Maybe you have to pay for some cleaning for the first few months or even the first year. Maybe you have to pay for a helper, you know, a doula or a um, just, you know, a kind of a childcare provider um, to just come for a couple of hours during the day and take care of baby while you get some rest if things are really bad. I know that's not an option for everybody, but these are things we have to be talking about. You know, who – if there was an emergency and you had to go into the hospital – and you needed somebody desperately to care for your child, who would you call? That is the person that you should be calling if you're sleep deprived. You should call them and tell them that you need help because sleep deprivation is kind of like an emergency. It can be an emergency situation. So, this is the time to utilize those resources. And most people do really want to help new moms, they just don't know how. And a lot of people just don't feel comfortable offering help. And so, a lot of people, if you ask them, and it, you know, I don't think the burden should be on mom to ask, but unfortunately, that is just kind of how it is right now. Um, And then also, if you're listening to this, this is where we as a community can step up for moms and for new parents and offer them help and check on them and say, hey, do you need meals? Can I cook you something? Can I come clean your house? Can I come watch the baby for an hour so you can get a nap? So it goes both ways. Moms, we have to start stepping up and asking for help. But also, let's also be the community for other moms and make sure that we're offering that help too so that they don't have to ask. Community support is essential. Getting help during the day so that even you can just get a nap, an hour nap, can be so such a drastic change, such a drastic improvement if you're feeling sleep-deprived. Maybe your partner... If partner is involved, can reschedule their day a little bit. So maybe they're going into work later and coming home a little later, but maybe they can, you know, get up in the morning and plan on watching baby for, you know, two or three hours um, in the early morning before they have to go into work so that you can get some at least a couple of hours of uninterrupted sleep. My husband did that for me when I had a newborn, when my son was born, because he actually did have um, true underlying issues. He had tethered oral tissues, um, and some breathing, breathing issues that were impacting his sleep. And he literally some nights woke every 30 minutes and would only sleep on my chest. And so that's what I did. Like I would kind of, I would kind of plan on getting through as much of the night as I could, but when it got closer to like four in the morning and I really needed help, I would go into my husband and he would plan to, you know, be up from like four to seven or four to eight, um, watching, you know, and help, you know, supporting my, my, the baby, taking care of the baby, um, and letting me get a few hours of sleep. And that was life changing for me. I mean, that literally saved my life. It's the only way that I got by. Um, and so sometimes we have to just, we have to think about how we can shift things around and use our resources. And it's not always going to look perfect. And the other piece of this is examining your expectations Setting realistic goals does not fix sleep deprivation. I never want to make people think that that's what I'm saying, but having realistic expectations does help so much with mental health and it can help parents get through the hard times. Um, I think it for a lot of parents, having realistic expectations and understanding that their baby is really sleeping quite normally, if that's the case, can be a huge transformation. Um, There is something to be said for going into parenthood, believing that your baby should be having consolidated sleep within the first several months and that not happening and it destroying you. It destroys you because you think you're doing something wrong or you think there's something wrong with your baby or why are you failing your baby? You just can't figure this out or why won't your baby just sleep in the crib? I'm I'm speaking from experience. This was my experience with my first. There's something to be said about the way that that is just incredibly devastating to new parents and defeating and you may feel sleep deprived because you're, it is possible to have the intensity of the sleep deprivation um, be changed by your, your perceptions and by your expectations. So if you're expecting your baby to sleep, if you're expecting that they should be able to sleep a, you know 8 to 10-hour stretch at night and that's not happening, you're obviously going to be feeling a lot of big feelings from that, disappointment, frustration, resentment, anger, maybe. And that can lead to feeling like you're more sleep deprived. Whereas if you have reasonable expectations and you understand that it's very normal for your baby to wake every few hours for the entire first year of life, and sometimes even beyond that, then it's not going to feel as bad when they do that. And yeah, it might still be hard and you might have mornings where you're tired, and you might still need to implement those support systems and, and rearrange schedules so that you have more help from your partner. But it's just not going to feel so bad because you don't also then have the pressure on you of "I need to fix my baby. I need to train them so that they do better. They do what they're supposed to do. There's something wrong with them. There's something wrong with me. I'm a failure. When you don't have those unrealistic expectations and that pressure on both you and your baby, it just feels a little better, even when it's hard. So changing your expectations and if we if we support parents by providing them the information to begin with before they even have a baby and letting them know this is normal and this is realistic and also setting them up for success because when they have those information and they have those realistic expectations, they can then prepare for that prepare for the support system that they need before they have their baby. So that is a huge piece. So you can see here that there's so many other ways, and I haven't even talked about baby sleep because there are ways that we can improve baby sleep if there isn't an underlying issue um, or maybe if the scheduling is off or baby's overtired or the environment isn't right. Um, But I'm not even going to talk about that today because I think there's so many other ways that we can first improve um, the feeling of sleep deprivation by focusing on the parents and focusing on the support systems and the expectations. Um, And so what else can we do? We can make sure, you know, aside from all of the the health things that we kind of already talked about, we can make sure that when we do have the opportunity opportunity to sleep, we are taking advantage of that. And so what does that mean? It means we front load our evenings so that when baby goes to bed, we go to bed with baby. And again, this isn't always going to be ideal. You know, in a perfect world, as new parents, our babies would sleep from seven at night to seven in the morning, and we would be able to be up until nine or 10 or whatever time you want to go to bed at night with our partner and watching TV and getting things around the house done. And then we would go to bed and we would sleep all night and we would wake up in the morning, but Being a parent is not an ideal perfect world and it never will be. So that goes back to the expectations piece. When we learn to manage our expectations and we do the things that we need to do to survive right now and to make the most of our situation as it is right now, that is the most helpful thing we can do. So what does this mean? Front loading our our days. This is one of my favorite strategies, especially great if you are um, a working mother, a working parent. You, you know, a lot of parents feel like once baby goes to bed, like that's their opportunity to get all of the things that they need to do around the house done. They need to pack for work the next day. They need to clean. They need to do laundry. They need to vacuum, whatever. Um, So first of all, prioritizing which of these tasks really needs to be done. Do you need to vacuum the floor every night? Again, that's maybe where can you hire somebody? Is that possible? Even if it's just for a short time. Um, can a, can partner help with some of those tasks? So, managing expectations of your partner, if there is a partner involved, what can they help with? Um, but then, the, so make a list of those priorities, those things that you actually do need to get done that day, that evening, and try to do them as soon as you get home from work, or if you're not working, you know, try to kind of stagger them and fit them in somewhere in the afternoon, maybe when baby's napping, maybe you're wearing baby for a nap and you're getting some stuff done around the house. So trying to have those major things done that need to be done that evening before you go to bed, trying to have them done maybe before dinner or right after dinner. That way you can then get ready for bed at the same time that you're getting baby ready for bed. Um... And that means so I love that I love this strategy um, I think it's so helpful because I think what often happens with parents is you know they get baby ready for bed they put baby to bed and then they're up you know watching TV or cleaning or whatever it is that you decide to do in the evening if you can get your baby to sleep on their own for a little while um, I'm making a big assumption here because I know a lot of you can't um, and that's also why I'm talking about this but then they're so tired that they pass out on the couch and then they have to get themselves up and drag themselves that drag to the bathroom and get ready for the evening get ready for bed and go through their you know wash their face and brush their teeth and put on their pajamas and then they get into bed and then sometimes some pe- some Moms have a hard time then falling asleep. They already fell asleep on the couch, so now it's hard for them to fall asleep in bed. Or it's just it just takes more time. It just takes more time to then interrupt your sleep or you're feeling tired and then you have to go get ready for bed and then maybe you don't feel tired anymore all of a sudden. So what I love to do is having have mom get ready for bed at the same time as baby. That doesn't mean that you necessarily have to go to sleep when baby goes to sleep. Um, and sometimes you might because you might be bed sharing and you might have a hard time leaving your baby. And so that is helpful then too because then you're not like looking for when you can escape. But maybe you just kind of plan on, you know, Getting baby to bed and you're this is your relaxation time too. So maybe you're listening to a podcast um, Or you know something of that nature in bed and it's kind of just your time But if you are out, you know doing things around the house getting ready for the day You're at least ready for bed so that when you start to feel tired and when you're done with your stuff You can just go to bed And hopefully if you've front-loaded the day or the evening a little bit You don't have as much to do after you put baby to sleep and so you can focus more on relaxing and resting the other piece of this is I love to think in terms of instead of sleep when the baby sleeps because that can be a lot of pressure, especially for an, a new mom who um, you know has all of these emotions and all of these hormones. Um, that can be a lot of pressure and some women cannot fall asleep on command. I like to think of it in terms of resting when the baby sleeps. So if baby is napping, maybe you just lay in bed and you don't force yourself to sleep. You don't put pressure on yourself to sleep. But maybe you just lay in bed and watch a show or listen to a podcast or read a little bit. Um, and that way you're resting, your body's resting, maybe your mind is resting a little bit, and you're there in case you happen to get sleepy and fall asleep. And sometimes just not putting the pressure on yourself to fall asleep can be helpful in and of itself to get you to sleep because you're you're not stressing about sleeping. Um, but you're still resting. And sometimes resting is is really helpful too. It doesn't always have to be actually sleeping, but resting can, can help give you energy too. And it can help preserve some of your energy. And this is true in the evening as well. So maybe you just make the most of your evening. You know, maybe if you do have to kind of be next to baby, if you're bed sharing, you can't leave your baby. Maybe that's when you just kind of, um, accept that. For this phase of life right now, you're going to go to bed early and that doesn't mean you have to go to sleep right away, but maybe that's just you time. Maybe you can get caught up on a show on your phone or listen to a podcast or do like a meditation on your phone or a visual relaxation exercise or guided relaxation. So it's not always going to look perfect and ideal, but we have to think about what are the things that we can implement right now, today. To make the most of our situation because we can't always change it without sleep training without doing something that really isn't ultimately helpful to our baby and for many of us it doesn't feel right to us what can we do to make the most of this situation right now so there are some other things you can do too so um, we've already talked about nutrition but Um, You know, you can make sure that you're not drinking caffeine um, later in the afternoon and evening because caffeine, a lot of women are really sensitive to caffeine um, and it can keep keep you up later and make it hard for you to fall asleep. Um, Making sure that you, I just lost my train of thought. I said caffeine. Oh, um, making sure that you are limiting artificial light in the evening. So using the sunlight to your advantage, getting lots of Um, sunlight, if possible, natural sunlight in the morning and afternoon. And then in the evening, trying to turn off electronics, trying not to be exposed to that artificial light, like bright overhead lights, um, fluorescent lights, lights from TV, lights from the phone, trying to set boundaries so that maybe you're unplugging, you know, an hour or two hours before you plan on going to bed. Because what research shows us is that, Um, Being exposed to blue light, especially blue light from electronics, can actually impact our melatonin production, which is um, what makes us sleepy. So it helps to regulate our circadian rhythm. It can actually impact melatonin production for up to two hours. Um, And so limiting that about two hours before bed can be really helpful. And I know, I know, I know that that's so hard because that is your only time. Sometimes it feels like during the day, it's your only time to like scroll Facebook or Instagram or get caught up on things or watch your favorite show. And so I'm not saying you can't do that, um, but just something to keep in mind is that piece, that those that um, research that, sh- that tells us that it can disrupt sleep. Um, and so what you can do is consider getting some blue light blocking glasses. Um, that way, if you are watching tv at night or on your phone at night it's hopefully not impacting your melatonin quite as much you can um adding a piece of you know if you do have the opportunity to do a little bedtime routine if you can leave baby um adding something into your bedtime routine that just is really for you and just relaxes you and puts you into kind of this relaxed um state before bed. So maybe that's like a magnesium soak bath, or maybe that's prayer or meditation or reading, whatever it is that you like to do that relaxes you, even 20 or 30 minutes before bed. If you have the opportunity to do that, if you have a partner that can help out with baby um, during that time to get you into this relaxed state, that will be helpful for facilitating sleep. So there are... So many things that we can start with before sleep training, and it starts with us. It really does. And I always I say this a lot. You know, train parents, not babies. And I don't think the parents need to be trained either. But I do think that we need to be reeducated, um, and I think that we do need to reexamine our expectations and implement ideal goals and ideal expectations, and move and shift and put pieces into our days that help us cope during the hard times because parenting is hard. Parenting is never going to be easy and I don't think it's meant to be easy. It's not. Anyone who's trying to sell you a quick fix or a guarantee about sleep or parenting, I would run from that because that's not how parenthood is supposed to be. But we have to start with ourselves first if we're struggling. It's not about our baby. It's not our baby's burden to deal with the fact that our society sucks for being a new parent and a new baby. And why why should our babies have to bear that burden? We start with us setting boundaries for ourselves implementing our support systems and the other argument I get a lot that I just want to address is that well this stuff is also privileged I'm so privileged for talking about this and I disagree yes support in our culture is often only something that more privileged people can get access to but that is not normal and that is not right and it also once again, doesn't negate anything that I've said here. And again, we need to be providing this information to all parents. It is not up to me to decide that, oh, well, this person over here, I don't believe they're privileged, so I'm not going to share any of these alternative suggestions with them because they're probably not attainable. No, that would be privileged of me. That would be privileged of me to decide that this person over here does not deserve access to this information. I do not subscribe to that. I acknowledge that a lot of the things I just said are very difficult to attain. If you are a person who is, um, does not have a lot of money or is maybe a single parent without a large support system, I fully acknowledge that. But that doesn't change that that, that this information is important. Because we don't know what resources somebody has access to. Somebody could be a single parent who does not have a large income, but they have a huge family support system who maybe they just haven't felt encouraged or didn't really know that they could ask for help and maybe their family wasn't offering help. But maybe that person becomes empowered to ask for help and they get it. We don't get to assume about somebody's life and then make the decision to withhold information from them. And this idea of you're privileged to say this is ridiculous. I acknowledge that I have privilege. We all have privilege in some ways. There's all different kinds of privilege. You're privileged if you have a partner. You're privileged if you you know have a higher income your privilege if you have a roof under your head but it's all relative it's all relative there could be somebody with no support system who ha who makes more money and lives in a nice home but they don't have any family support system and then there could be somebody you know on the other side of that who has a very low income but has a huge family support system that is providing them meals and childcare and you know et cetera. Et cetera. i mean we don't get to assume this about people's lives. We don't get to decide who is privileged and who is then worthy to have access to certain information. And furthermore, avoiding these conversations because of the fear of being called privileged, one, it shuts down the conversation, which is important to have. Again, just because it might be privileged, it might be furthermore privileged to have access to this kind of support, does that negate anything that I just said? does it make it less true? It doesn't make it less true that a a woman might have nutritional deficiencies and need help with that. Maybe she can't afford to go to a functional medicine doctor, which I completely understand. And I think that that is another issue in and of itself that our system sucks. But that doesn't mean we don't talk about it. Because by not talking about it, By not presenting other ideas and other alternatives because of quote unquote privilege, we are continuing to normalize mothers not having support. The question shouldn't be, why are you talking about this because it's privileged and most people don't have access to this? The question should be, why is it privileged to have support? Why is it privileged to have maternity leave? Why is it privileged to have somebody making meals for you postpartum? That should be the question. It shouldn't be why am I talking about this when most people can't access it. And when we don't talk about it, again, because of privilege, we are further normalizing it in our society. We have to talk about it in order to raise awareness to the fact that it's not okay that support is not standard for new parents. It's not okay that support is really only attainable in a lot of ways from people that are more privileged than others. It's not okay. So, we need to keep talking about it. We need to keep talking about how our medical system is not set up to care for postpartum women in a holistic way to make sure that they are really thriving. We have to have the conversations to raise awareness about the limitations and the way that society is not supporting parents and that these systems are not supporting parents. So arguing with me that I'm privileged for saying this, one, it does not make what I'm saying any less true. And parents deserve to know these things and to deserve to know that there are other alternatives and deserve to know that it could be that, hey, you have actually like a health issue, that needs to be addressed. And two, it doesn't change anything. How do we expect things to change if we're never talking about it? Okay. That was my rant. There are just, there are so many factors. This is such a complex conversation and I am really tired of it being reduced to this idea of you're privileged, like you're privileged to talk about not sleep training. No, actually the same could be said for the opposite. Some people believe that sleep training is privileged because not everybody has access to a multiple bedroom house where they can put their baby in the other room, or even if they have room for a crib, you know, it's privileged to act as if, and to say that bed sharing should never ever happen because a lot of families around the world don't have the means to have a home with enough space for a separate sleep surface that is privileged it's not privileged to discuss what is biologically normal and what how things should be for parents that's not privileged it's a problem that now that has become only for the privileged, and we need to talk about it and get back to normalizing support for new parents and get back to normalizing normal infant behaviors. But we can't keep shutting down conversations because that information makes us uncomfortable or it might not be accessible for all people. So what, we just don't share the information? I just never tell a parent that, hey, you you need to check your maybe your iron levels, maybe your your copper levels. I just never bring those suggestions to parents because it might make them uncomfortable or they might not be able to address it. That's not a solution. I don't have all of the solutions because the unfortunate truth is that we are in a society right now with systems in place that are not conducive to being a baby or a parent. So when we are within a system, that is set up to fail parents and babies, there is not going to be a perfect solution that does not involve sleep training and that also does not involve always a sleep deprived mother. For a lot of parents, that solution is safe bed sharing. For some parents, that is not something they want to do or it's not something they feel safe to do or they feel comfortable doing. But somewhere, when we're within this system, we do have to make sacrifices somewhere. And ultimately, that is what parents have to decide on. But attacking the people that are sharing this information, sharing the other side of it, trying to talk about the nuance and the complexities of this is not helpful. It's not constructive.